Clarifications, any questions from last class? Okay. Cool. So, share a quote with you. I was looking for some paper this morning and uh, I came across a pad from the ashram where I was and I was writing on it. And the bottom of the pad, there was a quote. I thought I'd share it with you which is quite relevant to what we're doing right now. And the quote says, we are not human beings that need a spiritual life. We are spiritual beings that go through a human life. It puts into perspective. We are not human beings that need a spiritual life. We are spiritual beings that go through a human life. Does that make sense everyone? And I thought that puts things into perspective. Because we all think we're human beings. We need a spiritual life. But it's actually the other way around. So I thought I'll share that with you. So last class, we discussed that the existence of the self is not blind belief. We try to prove it by giving three examples. Examples that we experience in our own life every day, but we we are used to it. We're we're not aware. The first we said we refer to our body, mind, and intellect as my body, my intellect, my mind. So we said, who was this my? Then there was this, the second example was, as a human being, we're changing all the time. We said that to notice these changes, there has to be a changeless entity, changeless background. This changeless entity, what is that? And the third example we gave is our constant use of the term I. In our life, we say, I am rich, I'm poor, I feel sad, I'm happy. When you are young, you say, I'm a child. I'm a girl, a boy, man, woman. We even use the term I in the three states of consciousness. We all go through three states of consciousness, waking, dreaming, sleeping. You say I'm awake, I'm dreaming, I'm sleeping. Same person says these three things. Who is this I? So the conclusion was that there is sufficient evidence for us to investigate this I and its purpose and existence. This is what we're doing. Everyone with me? You're all there last week, so. And this is exactly what we're doing. 
We're exploring this I by in this in these classes. That's our true personality. That's who we really are. We're not this body, mind, and intellect. This is what the scriptures are saying. So we're on composite personality. Chapter nine, composite personality. Composite personality. One second, Ravi. Oh, sorry. So we all contact the world, but how are we contacting the world? That is the question. Unless we understand our personality, how it relates to the world, how do we know if we are relating to the world properly? We get out of bed, we just do whatever we have to do. We don't know if we're doing it right. Only if we relate properly with objects and beings can we get the joy and happiness and sorrow that we gain. And to have proper relationships with the world, we need to understand how we function and then learn to contact the world correctly. This is which is what we're doing here. Today, we're going to dissect the human being to its bare components, which will give you a better idea of how we function. Okay, Ravi? Composite personality. The Supreme Self, Atman, is the core of your personality. The Atman enlivens the body to perceive and act, enlivens the mind to feel, the intellect to think, contemplate. However, the type of perception and action, feeling and thought emanating from the body, mind and intellect will all depend upon one's inherent nature, fastness. If the fastness, basic nature is good, the expression will be good. If bad, the expression will be bad. Similarly, brilliant or dull, evolutionary or devolutionary, according to the vastness, as the vastness, so the thought, feeling, perception and action. So Atman is the center of everyone's personality, which is what we said. It enlivens, gives life to the body, mind and intellect. We've already discussed that. The feelings and thoughts that come from our body, our mind and our intellect will depend on our inherent nature, vastness. This is a new word for a lot of people. It's very important that you understand this word. Because if you understand this word, it'll help you to understand why a person behaves in a certain way. Yeah? This is the crux of a person's nature. So what is vasnas? The regular older students, what is vasnas? Deepa. So your desires, the uh, your desires, yeah. What so else? The DNA that you came into this world with. Your DNA that you came into the world with. Any other? She's right, by the way. 
Any other description? Vasnas. Party? Vasnas. Is it almost the baggage that we've come with? Baggage. Yeah. Layman terms, baggage. <laughs> She's right. So, Vasnas is the stuff you are made of. stuff that you're made of. If you're made of good stuff, then you'll be a good person. Bad, then a bad person. We are what our vasanas are. The Sanskrit word, vasanas, meaning inherent nature. We can spend a whole class on just this one word, vasanas, by the way. Your inherent tendencies, your fragrance. I don't mean and fragrance as in smell. <laughs> your personality. You can say, as Deepa said, unmanifest thoughts and desires. It's different for every different human being. And all human beings is different. It'll be more clearer when we move on. Do you ever wonder, uh, twins are born to a family, to a couple. They have the same milk, mother's breast milk, same love, share the same bed, same food, but they're so very different. Why is that? There can be opposites. Why is that? Shilavan, why is that? Same parents. Vastness. Different natures. Different tendencies. The vastness are different. The vastness are different, the natures are different. This is the crux of it. So a person's behavior, thoughts, feelings, actions, all based on their vastness. If you have negative vastness, you'll only see negative in the world. If you have good vastness, you'll see only good in the world. Person is brilliant, smart, dull, dumb, vastness, inherent tendencies. Another way of looking at it is vastness is an expression of a human being. I'm just using different words to explain the same word, the same different uh, words to explain uh, vastness so that one will click with you and think, yes, now I understand. It's like electricity, as we said. The expression is dependent on the bulb. Electricity is the same. We can say that a green bulb 
the vasanas are green. Red bulb, the vasanas are red. Similarly, depending on the vasanas, so the expressions of a person's nature, character. So with this understanding, if you understand this, and you see a person behaving in a certain way, you now understand that it is his vastness. If he's a bad person, you can sympathize. Poor fellow, he has bad vastness. Rather than saying this guy's bad. You understand, he's got bad vastness. Any questions on vastness? It's important that you understand this thoroughly. Dharmesh. If I understand rightly, your vastness are things that come with you when you're born. Yeah. Can they be changed? Yeah. Yeah. You put effort in, you can change it. We leave it as that for now. Any other clarifications on vastness? Um, it's Aruna here. Yeah, Aruna, please. Um, so I wanted to ask, so these vasanas, do they come from our previous lives? Where do they actually come from? What, you know? I think, let's, for now, let's just leave it as we're born with it. Okay. Well, for this class, let's just say we're born with it. Just that I don't want to uh, go into a tangent of where they sure. come. Very good okay. question, very good question, by the way. Um, but maybe we can take it up on another, on Wednesday or something. Any other questions on understanding vasanas? Okay. So, um, I'm going to share a screen now with you. Can anyone, see, everyone see this? Can everyone see this? Yes, we can. Right. So this, the chart below gives a complete picture of a human being with his built-in anatomical, physiological, psychological, and philosophical structures. Don't worry about the wor uh, words too much. It's, this is the anatom anatomy of a human being. This is you. This is me. This is every human being. And I'll go through it with you now. A human, as we said, is made up of spirit and matter. What is spirit? The self. The enlivening factor, just like electricity. See at the top it says self, Atman. They mean the same thing. Matter. Body, mind, intellect. See at the top it says the vastness. This is our nature, which just covered. Now we break down each component of a human being. So you've got the self in living, you've got the vastness, which is your nature. So this is the hierarchy, self, vastness, body, mind, intellect, and then we go further down. So the body, if everyone looks at the body, it's divided into two organs of perception and organs of action. 
So organs of perception with which we perceive the world. These are eyes. We see color and form. With ears, we hear sound. Nose, we smell odor. Tongue, we taste food. Skin, we feel, touch. So the vastness define the quality of these perceptions. We'll, 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 we'll go into more detail in a second. So depending on your vastness, they define the quality of these perceptions. So if your vastness are good, you might want to smell incense sticks because it reminds you of spiritual things. This is just an example. If your vastness are gross, you might want to smell perfume, reminds you of sensual things. If your vastness are good, you want to become a better human being. If bad, you don't care. So we receive stimuli from these organs and then we respond back in the world with the organs of action. See next on the second section, it says organs of action. And these are speech, arms, legs, generation and excretion. So this is how we respond back to the world. Um, I'm going to keep the screen on. Uh, Ravi, can you read the next paragraph, the Atman functioning? The Atman functioning through the organs of perception becomes the perceiver and perceives the sense objects of the world. Color and form through the eyes, sound through the ears, smell through the nose, taste through tongue, and touch through skin. The perceiver is therefore the combined seer, hearer, smeller, taster, toucher. That makes one part of the physical personality. The other part is the actor, created by the Atman functioning through the organs of action. The actor executes actions. The perceiver and actor together form the physical personality. So this is your physical personality. You receive stimuli from the world with the five organs of perception, and then you reply back to the world with the organs of action. So the Atman functioning through the body creates the perceiver and actor. You go past the cake shop. You perceive, see, strawberry cheesecake in the window. You've seen with your eyes, your sense organ. Then that perception reacts with the mind. If you have a vasana, a desire for it, then it will react with the organs of action and you go in and buy a slice and you consume it. If you have no desire for it, then you will carry on walking. Does everyone understand that? Does anyone have a question on that? I can't see you, so um, just uh, say out if there isn't a question. So this is how the body functions, the physical body. Ravi, next paragraph. Again, the Atman functioning through the mind creates the feeler and feels emotions like joy and sorrow. 
love and hate, affection, passion, anger, etc. The feeler constitutes the emotional personality. So the self at the top, enlivening the mind in the middle. Mind is made up of feelings, emotions, likes and dislikes. It feels joy, sorrow, love, hatred. The layman calls it the heart. So even these types of emotions, they all depend on your vasnas. See, vasnas at the top. That conditions everything. You see a movie, a tragic love story on TV. You feel sad, become emotional. That's the mind, feeling emotions. Someone you know has passed away. You feel emotions. You get emotional. That's the mind. So Atman functioning through the mind creates the feeler, one's emotional personality. You feel joy and sorrow, love and hatred. That's the function of the mind. And now we look at the intellect. Perfect. The third equipment in a human is the intellect. The intellect is of two types, the gross and the subtle. They play distinct roles in life. The gross intellect is that which operates within the periphery of the terrestrial world. It is the discriminating faculty with which one distinguishes between the pairs of opposites, wherein the world is constituted of innumerable pairs such as heat and cold, joy and sorrow, right and wrong, etc. The gross intellect makes its distinction also deals with profound themes of science and technology. All this would still be classified as gross by virtue of its field of operation. Being terrestrial, the Atman expresses through the gross intellect as the thinker. The intellectual personality conceiving thoughts pertaining to the world. So this is now, there are two types of intellect. We have only ever talked about intellect, 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 generally so far, which is the gross intellect. So we've just talked about the first one, which is gross intellect. This is the thinker. So the self enlivens the gross intellect, which then reasons, judges, decides, distinguishes between right and wrong, the pairs of opposites, heat and cold, joy and sorrow. It thinks, contemplates, then it guides the body and mind to function in the world. So when you think of anything in the world, terrestrial, you're using your gross intellect science, business, work, problems in life, 
is this the right time to buy shares for investment? You look at the market and analyze. Gross intellect. The world has gone upside down. COVID-19, China and India, this war, unemployment levels, lockdown. How are we gonna get through this year? You think about the consequences of all this. Gross intellect. You watch a YouTube video, how to make Malai Kofta. You watch it and then think about it. Then you make it, gross intellect. So the gross intellect operates as the thinker within the terrestrial world. This makes up your intellectual personality. Any clarifications? Any questions on gross intellect? Does everyone understand? Okay. Now we're going to talk about the subtle intellect. Meghna. Distinct from the gross is the subtle intellect, which distinguishes the transcendental from the terrestrial which conceives the possibility of the eternal reality beyond the ephemeral world, discerns spirit from matter. The Atman expresses through the subtle intellect as the contemplator, the spiritual personality conceiving the self distinct from the material equipments and their manifestation. So the second type of intellect is the subtle intellect. This subtle intellect is the contemplator, to say so in there, contemplator. The ability to think beyond the world, to differentiate between spirit, self, transcendental, the world, differentiate between the spirit and the world, matter and worldly things. Who is God? What is this reality? Does it exist? Why are there so many gods? Subtle intellect. Only the subtle intellect can think of something beyond the world, God. Any thought that manifests beyond, that makes you think of something spiritual or not pertaining to the world, you're using your subtle intellect. No matter how sharp the gross intellect is, it cannot think of anything beyond the world. The gross intellect only operates in the worldly environment. Both intellect works in different ways. It's like a spanner. A spanner to change the wheel of a car cannot be used to repair a wristwatch. You need a different spanner for that. Both are spanners, but different uses. Only a human can think, is there a God? because only humans have a subtle intellect. 
no animals. That's why we are superior to animals. So when your subtle intellect is sharp, you can examine God. When it is blunt, you reject God. That's why you find some people are interested, searching for something, searching for answers to life. What happens to us when we die? What is our purpose? How do I find God? Subtle intellect. Some people not interested. The attitude is, there's no God, just enjoy life. Whatever will happen, will happen. No subtle intellect. Even an atheist, a person who doesn't believe in God, uses his subtle intellect to think, is there a God? And he comes to the conclusion that there isn't and then rejects it. So everyone has a subtle intellect. So my question is, why is it available to some and not to others? Everyone has it. Why is it available to some and not to others? Thermish. Desires block it. Desires block it. Perfect. Desires cover the subtle intellect. The more desires, the less the subtle intellect is exposed. So the subtle intellect makes up the spiritual personality. Okay, any questions on any of that chart? The physical, the organs of perception, organs of action, the mind, intellect, gross and subtle. Any questions on the description that we just gave? Was it clear to everyone? Shilavan, was it clear? Well, the, the written thing is clear, but when you experience it, it will be another thing. I think we have to, it's more with experience that we'll learn all these things in a better format or way. So, so you see, even experience, you need to understand what you are experiencing. Yeah? This knowledge will only help you if you turn it into wisdom. Otherwise, it stays as knowledge. It's not available to you when you need it. But this is when you study and you absorb it, then it becomes, then it changes you. Then you are aware. But at this moment, it is pure only knowledge. Yeah. Is it because we can't, the, the subtle intellect, or is because we can't see it? We have to, what I mean is experience it. The subtle intellect allows you to think of God. Yeah. Yeah. The, what, what we're saying is that the subtle intellect is what allows you to think of God. You're all here because you have a subtle intellect. You want to find out more about what is this self. 
what is this spiritual being? So you're all in this classroom now because you have a subtle intellect. Yeah. Somebody else may come to this classroom and say, what's this nonsense? Yeah. I don't know what this guy's talking about and switches it off. No subtle intellect. This is what we're saying. That's all we need to know at this moment in time. Okay. The difference between the two. Any other clarifications? Damesh, did you have a question? Okay. Any other questions on the chart? So the subtle intellect makes up the spiritual personality. So I shared the screen so it's easier for me to explain uh, and you can all follow even if you haven't got a book. Migna. Hence, a human is a hyphenated perceiver, actor, feeler, thinker, contemplator. A synthesis of his physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual personalities, as per the chart below. So this is us from a different perspective. The self enlivening us, body, mind, intellect. The perceiver and the actor is our physical personality. The feeler is our emotional personality. The gross intellect thinker is our intellectual personality. And our subtle intellect makes us the contemplator, our spiritual personality. This is who we are, all human beings. So the human being is a combination of a physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual personality. This is us. See, until now, we just see ourselves in the mirror and we see our body and this is what we think we are, but actually this is what we are. You dissect it to the bare minimum. That allows you to then understand how you are function, how you function, why you function in a particular way. You can change your personality, you know where to change, how to change, isn't it? It gives you that knowledge to, to change that. It's a lot to think about, a lot to analyze. Okay, it gets deeper, I'm afraid. Megna. The Atman is said to be a homogeneous mass of pure consciousness, the same in all beings, immaculate, unconditioned. Yet it appears conditioned by the material equipments. Functioning through the body, mind and intellect, it becomes the conditioned consciousness, the human being. Nevertheless, the immaculate Atman is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Like the sun above, whose rays are all powerful, all pervading. The sun above is singular, untainted, unconditioned, but its reflections are manifold in the numerous reflecting media. 
it appears tainted, conditioned by the properties of the media. The sun seen through a blue mirror appears blue. Through a dirty mirror, dirty. Through a broken mirror, broken. Similarly, the supreme self that you are appears tainted, restrained by the limitations of the equipments through which it functions and becomes the limited, restricted human being. So what's that saying? What does that say? Yeah, well, what does that say? What does that mean? Okay, what is it? Is it, is it um... no. Just are you talking? Anybody? I... Yeah. The Atman needs something. So it needs uh, an object or a body or something to, to act upon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So that, that's the Atma isn't within, within us, it's very pure, but we can't see it because our body wants the worldly things that we react to, the ones that the dislikes, and all these things. Okay. So it's very difficult to let go of that to become the, the self now. Okay. So what, um, what Shilabin is saying is is right in a certain perspective but what we're saying here is that the atman is the same in all beings it's pure the word we want to take away is pure it's pure consciousness Kel, did you say did you have something to add yeah i was going to say is it basically saying that um the material world is kind of conditioned of you and hence we can't really we find we struggle to sort of perceive and contemplate yeah exactly so the atman is pure mass of consciousness but when he functions through the material layers of our, of the human being the body mind intellect the vasanas it appears as conditioned consciousness so you are now conditioned consciousness So she, you are conditioned consciousness. Bhaktiben, you are conditioned consciousness. Because it's been conditioned by your body, mind, intellect and vasanas. Otherwise it's pure. But it's now conditioned by your material layers. Regardless, the Atman is all-pervading all-knowing, all-powerful, all-pervading everywhere. So you just have to take away the fact that when it's within you, it's conditioned, otherwise it's pure. This is what this paragraph is saying. And then there's an example. Sunlight. Imagine the sun is the mass of consciousness. It's pure. There's only one sun. And there's powerful rays hitting the planet. The rays are all pervading. It's unconditioned. But when it hits the planet, there are many reflections of the, of the sun. It appears different when it is reflected. When the sun hits a mirror, there's a reflection. If the mirror is blue, 
the reflection is blue. If the mirror is dirty, the reflection is dirty. If the mirror is broken, the reflection is broken. This is the conditioned reflection. But the sun is still pure, pure light, pure sun. Whatever the reflection does, does it affect the sun? It doesn't. Yeah, it's still unconditioned. Is everyone with me? Yeah. So similarly, take that example, there's only one mass of consciousness, Brahman, God, doesn't matter what you call it. When it is reflected in a person, it appears contaminated, it appears conditioned, it appears different from the pure mass, because it is now conditioned by your vastness, and your body, mind, intellect. It is no longer pure. Just like the rays of the sun is tainted by the reflection in the mirror. Pure Atman, Brahman is tainted by you, your material layers. This is how everyone is different. So everyone has this pure consciousness, Atman, which enlivens you, but is conditioned by your vastness and your material layers. It's a lot to take in. But this is the explanation of how a human being functions. Today you understand how you function completely. Any questions? There's more, so we'll have a clearer understanding in a second. Okay, Megna. The Atman the pure consciousness functioning thus through the body becomes conscious of perception and action. Through the mind becomes conscious of emotion and through the intellect becomes conscious of thought. The pure consciousness becomes conditioned by the equipments. When a spiritual seeker rises above his body, mind and intellect, and their objects of consciousness transcends the limitation of perception and action, emotion and thought, the conditioning ceases. The individuality is no more. He merges with a pure, absolute consciousness. It is akin to the phenomenon of reflection and sunlight. When the reflective medium is removed, and the reflected image disappears. What remains is the all-pervading sunlight. What does that mean? Ganesh. So, if we're looking at the sun through a filter, mm -hmm. which is our body, our mind, our soul, yeah. If we take the filter away and we only see the sun, the pure sun. Perfect. That's what you're seeing. That is the Atma. So in the same way, Krishna was talking to Arjun and he took away all the other desires and everything and showed him what was just, what was pure God or the pure Atma. That's all you see and that's all you are. Perfect. That's what we are, but we're conditioned. We're a limited human being. 
Sorry, what did they mention first? When yeah. you see the sun colored glass. Oh, colored glass. Yeah. So a human being is the supreme self, but functioning through material equipment, the, the pure consciousness becomes the limited human being, restricted by your vasanas, your body, your mind, and your intellect. So the goal in life, when you're a spiritual person, the goal is to rise above the material layers. The conditioned consciousness, your physical personality, your emotional, intellectual personality, rise above that and become one with the self, Atman, the pure unconditioned consciousness. As Dharma said, you need to take away the, those filtered glasses. The example it gives is, it's like removing the mirror which is reflecting the light. What is left is pure light. The mirror represents the limited human being. Remove the material layers, what remains is the pure consciousness. This is our goal. So what you need to know from this paragraph is that right now you're conditioned. And our object in life is to become unconditioned. All this spiritual knowledge, everything we do, is to help us to become unconditioned. That's why I gave that quote in the beginning, which I will, after this class, I will give that quote again, because I thought it was quite meaningful for this class. Any questions on that? Any, I know you're all holding your head because it is quite deep to be able to think. Any clarifications? You may not get it first time, you may have to think about it. Mika? The conditioning of pure consciousness is brought about by your unintelligent identification and attachment to your body, mind and intellect. Your focus of attention has long remained in the realms of these equipments. Consequently, you are held a hostage of your perception and action, emotion and thought. You can free yourself from this bondage and regain your supreme self through the three spiritual disciplines. Karma Yoga, path of action for the body. Bhakti Yoga, path of devotion for the mind. And Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge for the intellect. Why are there three paths? For your body, mind and intellect. Body, mind and intellect. We have three equipments, so we have three paths. They all behave differently. So the conditioning, we said we're conditioned consciousness. So why are we conditioned consciousness? Because it's our attachment, wrong identification with the material layers. Name, fame, power, wealth. We believe ourselves to be this limited human being rather than the self. That's the problem. 
So just removing the conditioning. So to remove the conditioning, you just need a little knowledge. When you get a little knowledge, you see the madness of what's going on. We are hostages to our perception, action, emotion, and thoughts. We think that's it. This is, this is what, who we are, this is what we are, and this is our goal. This wrong identification. See, right now, all our thoughts, all our thoughts are on our physical personality, and that's drawn to the world. When you have a bit of knowledge and you understand how the world works, how we work, you understand a bit more about spirituality, the self, what we need to do is change our focus. Change our focus from the world to the spirit. See, it's like if you put your finger in front of your face, if everyone puts their finger in front of their face, focus on the finger. The background is blurred. If you focus on the background, the finger is blurred. Everyone with me? Yeah. You focus on the finger, the background is blurred. If you focus on the background, the finger is blurred. That's all we need to do. Right now, you see the finger, not the background. Change our focus. From our body, mind, intellect, from name, fame, power, wealth, to the spirit. That doesn't mean you don't have to live in the world, enjoy yourself. It doesn't mean that. Yeah, don't get me, don't get, don't take it the wrong way. We have to live in the world. We are born here, we have to live. But if you live with a balanced life, with understanding, then it enriches your life, makes your life more happier. You feel good about yourself. You take all sorts of problems that we face in life with a pinch of salt. Nothing takes you down because you understand how life functions understand how you function. Just taking away from today's class that everyone is, acts based on their vastness. Can you imagine how you can change your life? Anyone has, a, if you have any problems with anyone, you understand it's their vastness, they can't help it. You can't change them. Just that allows you to walk away from any situation. Why are you like that? He doesn't know why he's like that. That's his vastness. <laughs> but we want an explanation why are you like that or why are you different from me as I, I'm more superior yeah everyone has their ups and positives and negatives just take that away and change your life bring you more peace and happiness so we are hostage to our perception action, emotion and thoughts that's what conditions us so it's saying we can free ourselves from this attachment and discover the true self by practicing the free spiritual disciplines. Now I'm sure most of you have heard of that. Karma yoga, half of action for the body. 
bhakti yoga, devotion for the mind. Jnana yoga, path of knowledge for the intellect. So you see, action is given for the body because the body acts. Devotion is given to the mind because the mind feels emotions. And knowledge is given for the intellect. See, thousands of years ago, they came up with this. Three disciplines, three material layers. What do these three yogas do? Any idea? Any idea what these three yogas do? Yeah, Nilam. Um, do they help kind of remove some of our filters or the cover the things that are covering up our which is what the vasanas perfect the, 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 yeah it removes your desires Dermesh, did you say sorry did you have your hand up yeah i was going to add the word desires but mm -hmm. she, she explained it really well vasanas emanates as Vasanas emanates as thoughts, which emanates as desires, which emanates as action. That's the hierarchy. So first it's the Vasanas you're born with. These emanates as thoughts. This emanates as desires, emanates as action. So you don't know what vasanas you have. It can come up anytime. So you have to be careful. So three disciplines for three material layers. It helps you to remove your desires. And when you remove your desires, what did we say happens? You remove your filters. Remove your filters. And you see subtle intellect is exposed. And the more your subtle intellect is exposed, the greater capacity to think and contemplate on the spirit, the self. Megna, does it make sense? Subtle intellect allows you to think of beyond the world, God, what is God, covered by desires, three yogas, removes those covering, exposes the subtle intellect, allows you to think more of what is God and who is God. It makes you become more of a spiritual person, allows you to walk that spiritual path. Why is it so difficult? It is difficult. Why is it so difficult? Yeah, Megna. It takes more effort to think about and experience, whereas the other sort of worldly things are right in front of you, easier to access. Easier to access, yeah. Any other reason? Yeah. It's part of it because we're just so used to it and conditioned and we've formed these habits. Yeah. And some of it is we're unaware of as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're both right. Any others? So, um, so relatively, we're made up of gross material layers. So our body, mind, so many intellect that's subtle. 
And the world is gross. Yeah. The world is gross. Yeah. And we're relatively gross. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's more, we relate better or we. The conditioning is very strong. The problem is we have desires. How do we fulfill those desires? With what? What do we fulfill our desires with? If we have money. Anita? Hello. Yeah. Uh, through our five senses. Through our five senses. Perfect. So we we. Sorry, Sheila, but you wanted to say something. Oh, no, it's okay. The problem is we use our material layers to fulfill our desires. The world is a magnet for our senses. And now we're saying we must use those to get out of it. So the world is pulling us, pulling our five senses, pulling our desires. And now we're saying we have to resist that and go the opposite way. That's why it's so difficult. That's why we have to put so much effort in. This is why it's so hard. It's no one's fault. It's the way we're designed. I don't want to discourage you. <laughs> Please don't be discouraged by it. We're just, we're just analyzing what happens. The pull is so strong. Our five senses want to go that way. The world is saying, come, come. New iPhone, new iPad, new car, new holiday. Come, come, come. And we're saying, fight it. How is that possible? That's why it's so hard. Bella? Megna? These spiritual practices are programmed to reach you to the goal of self-realization, the state of pure consciousness, the abode of absolute peace and bliss. The disciplines enable you to control and direct your equipments to tread the spiritual path. You use your intellect to guide the mind, senses and body to the ultimate destination. If the intellect is not alert, the mind goes out of control. The senses run amok and the body perishes. So the practice of these three disciplines helps us to walk on the spiritual path. We need to use our intellect all the time to guide the mind, guide the senses and the body, guide them to, to the goal of discovering the self. If our intellect is not available to control the mind, then the mind goes everywhere. 
too much uncontrolled emotions. Remember we said we're too much stimuli where the mind is getting so much stimuli, it doesn't know what to do. The senses are not controlled. Too much indulgence, food, alcohol, emotions. Anything, any indulgence. An uncontrolled mind leads to self-destruction. This is what it's saying. So these three spiritual disciplines helps us to control. Develop the intellect, helps us to control the mind. So we can take control of our life. Only you will benefit from it, no one else. Now we have the last paragraph, which gives a more better explanation. This idea is portrayed in the picture of the chariot and horses in the epic Mahabharata. With, the, with Krishna as the charioteer and Arjuna seated behind. When the charioteer holds the reins firmly, the horses are under control. The chariot heeds to its destination. If the charioteer is not alert, the reins slacken. The horses go out of control. The passenger fails to reach his destination. In the metaphor, the charioteer represent the intellect, the reins, the mind, the horses, the senses, the passenger, the individual. When the intellect maintains a perfect control over the mind and senses, the individual reaches their ultimate goal. Who wants to explain that metaphor to everyone? Who wants to explain? Nilam, you want to explain? Okay. Please. So in the metaphor, Arjun is the self, Krishna mm -hmm. is the intellect, mm -hmm and the horses are the mind and the body. Mm -hmm. So if the intellect controls the mind and the body, the individual can reach self-realization. Okay, very good. Any other explanation? Hmm? Is it, you wanna explain what I mean? Not okay. Much, but much of it. okay, cool. So Arjuna would have needed faith to have Krishna as his charioteer. Faith in the sense of knowing that the guidance that he gets from Krishna is going to enable him to reach his destination. So is it that if we have faith in the scriptures mm -hmm. and do what we just ought to do, we'll reach our destination. Okay. You guys are more deep, much more deeper thinking than what this paragraph is saying. <laughs> <laughs> You're both right, by the way. 
Megna. Megna. Um, I was just, yeah, I was going to say that it basically just means that in everything that you do, if you always have your intellect available, then you won't be, you won't go off track. You won't let your emotions rule you. You will rule your emotions. So it's all just staying sort of on the path and having your intellect available in everything that you do will just keep you on the guide to where you need to go, which in this case, we're trying to... Mm -hmm. be happier be the destination is self-realization but if we stay on the path use your intellect then you'll get that happiness from perfect. this journey perfect thank you you're absolutely right so in the metaphor here the horses represent the five senses five senses we said attract to the world now Krishna is the charioteer. He has the reins. The reins are the mind. As it's already been said, the reins are the mind. Krishna is the intellect. So the intellect has to keep the reins tightened. So you control the five senses, the five horses. If he doesn't control the five senses, the, the, the reins, Five senses can go anywhere in the world. It can ask for anything. It can do anything. Mind can ask for anything. It controls the five senses. When the, when the intellect, Krishna, keeps a perfect control over the reins, the mind, then you can direct and control it to wherever you want to get to. So, Intellect, five senses, the reins are the mind. You need to control that. That's why we need to develop the intellect. And that quote we said in the beginning, we are not human beings that need a spiritual life. We are spiritual beings that go through a human life. So we need to get back to being just that spiritual being. That's our goal. That is our true nature. That's what it means. We are actually a spiritual being, not a human being. Okay, open up to questions, clarifications. Anybody? Okay, I'm going to ask a question. Yeah. As they say, like karma yoga is whatever actions we we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Bhakti yoga. There's so many different avenues of bhakti yoga. Mm -hmm. How could we simplify? Bhakti yoga and not make it complicated, the path of devotion. See, anybody would like to answer that? Megna. I think, in terms of those three yogas, it's 
just sort of funneling towards being able to think of the higher in all three of those things. So in terms of bhakti, I think it's more if you need um, sort of faith in in terms of that sort of spit, like devoted faith to God, then you use your energy to focus the higher in that sense. So I think it's having the faith if you need to in idols and um, the way to go forward along that path, I think. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely right. Anybody else would like to explain? It's similar to what Meghna just said, really, in the sense of whenever you perform any ritual relating to the yoga that you're doing for bhakti, it's not thinking about the ritual that you are doing, but what that ritual represents. And the idea is it should represent that you're thinking of a higher Hi. beyond the world. So all three yogas are to help you to think beyond the world. Bhakti especially because we've got so many rituals. So in class, what we're doing is the third yoga, jnana yoga, yeah. path of knowledge for the intellect. This is what we're, this is the path that we're all studying on Sundays. Yeah, this is the third path that we're doing. That's why you'll find only people who are interested in knowledge will, will come to this class. People who are devotional will not join this class because they are devotional. There is no devotion in that in the literal sense in these classes. People who want to act will not join this class. They're man of action. Where can I do some seva? What's this guy just talking, talking, talking? What? I need to do some action. They won't be here because they need the path of action. Karma yogi, bhakti yogi, they won't be here. Only people who have an intellect who wants to understand knowledge will come to these classes. See, we're all made up of all three in different proportions. We all need some devotion. We need, all need some action. And we all need knowledge. So depending on the proportion, you'll gravitate to that. If you're highly devotional, you'll sit in the temple all day, singing bhajans and praying and, and so on. If you're highly uh, uh, karma yogi, you'll just want to serve. If you're Swaminayan temple, uh, the following is based on karma yogi. Nilkant was a karma yogi. The, the original guru was a karma yogi. So that's why service is key. Karma yoga is key to that following. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Any other clarifications? So one does need non yoga to act to then obviously karma yoga because we always taught to serve and then add your devotion that will become bhakti yoga. Saying 
according to how they've laid it out here, Gnana Yoga should be the first one. And then Karma Yoga and then Bhakti Yoga. Because Bhakti Yoga is obviously renouncing a lot of things mm -hmm. to come to that state of mind. See, the problem is that everyone is made up of different proportions. Yeah. So don't take this as any particular order. Okay. In fact, one thing you touched upon, which is correct, is that for both the other two paths, path of action, path of devotion, Karma Yoga and Bhakti Yoga, you need knowledge to back it. To understand why are you doing it? Yeah. How can me being devotion take me to that end goal? Why am I, why, why am I doing Karma Yoga? How does that help me to reach my goal? You need the understanding and that comes in the form of Jnana Yoga. So for both of the other two paths, you need a little bit of knowledge to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Then it helps you to move further forward. You're not doing it blindly. Yeah. Any other questions? What time is it? Yeah. Asil just pointed out the intellect must understand what the mind is feeling when it's devotional. Does that make sense to Shilohan Shita? Shita, elaborate that further, please. So Swamiji explains it better in the sense that when you are devotional, it's all just about emotion, right? So you feel like you have a sense of understanding of what God is. Yeah, you feel this overwhelming love for a particular deity. Um, but if there's no intellectual conviction behind it, you don't understand what you're feeling. It's just a feeling. Yeah, but when you've got a strengthened intellect, the knowledge that you understand, it's the goodness, because that's what all deities represent, characteristics of what Brahman is, which is pure, all love. But how do we understand those vast expressions? We can't, and that's what the deities are. So when we're bowing down, the intellect gives you that conviction of why is it that I'm bowing down? What is it that I'm feeling? What is, is my, that... what is my journey? Where am I trying to get to? If you don't know where you're trying to get to, then you can have all the devotion. You need to channel it in a particular direction. And knowledge helps you to do that. Dermish. I have a question for Wednesday, actually. Okay. So, okay, go on, I'll ask it. So, if this is philosophy that we're studying, yeah. and religion came after, yeah. is religion just a filter that's confusing us? Okay, good question. And actually, it's funny, you must be a mind reader, because I came across a piece of paper, uh, a previous uh, notes of mine, which I had done, which explains the difference, and I'm going to discuss that on Wednesday, the difference between philosophy and religion. 
yeah? So then there's no confusion. They're both related, by the way, but uh, we'll, we're going to discuss it in more detail. I'm going to explain it to you in more detail. Um, and any other questions from this class, we'll take those up as well. But the theme will be to explain to everyone new here and old, um, what is the difference between this philosophy and religion? And I'll break it down to where this philosophy comes from, translating to religion. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Any other last last question before we sign off today? Okay, I have. Uh, this is with experience. I'm I'm going to say something. Mm -hmm. And as she said, it's what you feel, right? Mm -hmm. In devotion. And you know when people travel and they go to different uh, places of temples, of churches, you know. And for me, it's like, I it's not to stick to one religion, it's the energy of how people say when you go to a church, you feel the energy if you walk in, it's just, yeah, if you, if you have an intention just to look at architecture, you're just going to look at the architecture. But if you think further than the architecture, it's the, the vibrations of the place that will give you an uplift. Because for me, I've experienced it in many, many places. As soon as you enter the place, you just feel the calm, the, the sense of your body being so light and enlightened just by walking into that space. So I think it's a lot to do with connecting to the vibrations and the energy of the place more than the idol or what they're trying to tell you that how this came along. So any, any church, place or temple or worship will have that energy. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you don't have to really feel that I only need to believe in Krishna or Ram or whatever, because all of these places have the same focus and energy. So we'll have a better understanding of what should have been saying from on Wednesday's class, because we will be discovering um, the differences between religion and, and so on. So, you know, we'll, 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 we'll bring this up, different places of worship has this energy because everyone is thinking of one thing there. Then you will absorb that when you go into these environments if you have a subtle intellect. If not, then you'll see the architecture. Yeah, because a lot of the times I've been there and for no reason, you know, you just become so emotional mm. at that time. Because I remember I, I experienced it. I, I took somebody to Sahare Krishna temple in uh, New Zealand. And this person actually don't believe in God, don't believe in anything. But as soon as they stepped their foot in there and they sat down, they just completely broke down. Mm. You know, they just, they just, the tears just flooded in them. And it's like, it's that the vibration that yeah. gave her that sense of feeling. And it just opened up a new direction for that person. 
So these places can be overwhelming, especially if you're not a spiritual person and suddenly yes. that vasna manifests. See, vasnas manifest in certain environments. You may not know that you have a vasna for something, but when you go to an environment that vasna manifests, yeah. you may not be religious or spiritual. You go to a church, temple, mosque, and that vasna manifests. You suddenly have an experience. So these vasnas can manifest. That's why you have to be careful. Your vasnas can, you know, this is a positive thing, but your vasnas can manifest in different areas when you're not sure. That's why you have to be careful. You touched on another, yeah, you touched on another point, which the market's telling us. But we, as uh, young people, don't understand this thing. Like, you know, especially in, uh, in our now I'm touching religion and uh, practice. That, you know, at certain point, like, you don't need to go to uh, cemeteries and cremations and all that. It's because of different, different vastness, right? But because they don't know how to explain it, it's just like you're fighting for it. You're fighting against it. But it's also as, as you get the knowledge and if you feel it, you're going to obey it, right? Mm -hmm. Or pr protect ourselves. Not obey, but it's protecting ourselves. It's stuff we're made of, we don't know what's inside. Yeah. So that's why we have to have the intellect developed. So when it pops up, we can control it. Yeah. Okay, on that note, Thank you everyone for joining us. This satsang.